Blog Talk Radio. Hello there, Dr. Ross Green here, overcoming some technical issues to finally get this program on the air today. How are you? Um, March 31st, 2014, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, where it is snowing again, so much for spring. Not a lot, just enough to remind us that... um, Spring has not sprung. Um, it's okay. We're, we Mainers are tough. And we've got a lot of email uh, to answer today, so we're going to get to that as quickly as possible. But if you do want to call in, that number is 347-994-2981. And today would be a good day to do it. Next week is the parents' panel. Uh, On last week's program, I announced that this week was the parents' panel, um, but of course that was ignorant of the fact that 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, including March. Thus, the parents' panel will be next week. Uh, I always look forward to that. Let us begin, given that we have no callers, to begin the program here with uh, some of the email that has piled up, and there's quite a bit of it that has piled up, so here's the good part. We get to answer it today. Um, But do feel free to call in if you want to. Once again, that number is uh, 347-994-2981. Dr. Green, I'm having a hard time understanding your unsolved problems category. I understand you are specifying the who, what, and when factors to the triggers that set our children into an explosive state of being. But when doing the homework you have suggested or trying to articulate it to my husband, I'm finding that I'm not truly understanding how to properly answer the unsolved problems. Therefore, not really understanding the formative language used. Help, please. Pleasure. All right. Let's say you've checked off a lagging skill. And let's take the first one. It's a very common one. Difficulty making transitions, shifting from one mindset or task to another. That's a lagging skill. The situations in which that lagging skill is causing difficulty are the unsolved problems. So what I would then ask is, under what conditions is your child having difficulty shifting from one mindset or task to another, making transitions? If the answer is, well, he has difficulty turning off the TV set to come in for dinner, then difficulty turning off the TV set to come in for dinner is an unsolved problem. If he has difficulty coming in from playing outside, 
That's an unsolved problem associated with that lagging skill, theoretically at least. If he has difficulty turning off the video game to get ready to go to bed, that is yet another unsolved problem, theoretically at least, associated with that lagging skill. So, once again, unsolved problems almost always start with the word difficulty, and they describe the expectations your child is having difficulty meeting, theoretically at least, in association with a particular lagging skill. And you would do it no differently for difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks. That's another lagging skill. Uh, Difficulty um, controlling one's emotional response to frustration so as to think clearly. It's another lagging skill. All you're asking yourself with each lagging skill, should you happen to check one off, is what are the specific conditions in which that lagging skill is getting in the way and or what expectations is my child having difficulty meeting in association with that lagging skill? That's how you do it. Conditions in which the lagging skill is getting in the way, expectations your child is having difficulty because of a particular lagging skill. The difference between the unsolved problem and the lagging skill, by the way, is the lagging skill is the skill your child is lacking. The unsolved problems are the problems that are being contributed to by that lagging skill. And as you may know, the reason this is important is because you're actually not working on teaching the lagging skill directly most of the time. You're working on solving problems collaboratively most of the time. And if you're solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you are simultaneously teaching your child the skills he or she is lacking, but not directly, indirectly. So I hope that clears it up, but you are welcome to call into the program and um, get further clarification if you wish. Um, As you all know or may not know, but I'll tell you again to remind you, we uh, send you an email. My associate, Lindsay, sends an email to people once uh, a question has been answered on the air. So you not only know that we've received your question, not all of them are we able to get to. We wish we could. But we um, let you know if we've had a chance to answer them. Here's another. Hi, Dr. Green. My 14-year-old son has ADHD, comorbid with ODD, that's Oppositional Defiant Disorder, and depression. I am based in South Africa. Good to know that this program and solving problems collaboratively is making over to South Africa. And the challenge I have is that even though my son is at a special needs school, they are still unable to work with him. He is on the extreme side of the scale, and all the years of negativity has taken its toll on him and me. There has been a complete breakdown of trust from both their side and my son's. I can see merit in your method, but I cannot seem to find a therapist in my city, Cape Town, 
who is able to help facilitate the process between myself and the school. I find that the mindset and attitude of the school psychologists and teachers are very inflexible to any new suggestions, and they seem unwilling to try a new approach because my son has such a damaged reputation at the school. I find myself between a rock and a hard place. I need help with this whole process as I feel ill-equipped to do this on my own with my son. Well, um, yes, you are far away from Portland, Maine in South Africa, but you are not alone in feeling that there is um, quite a gulf between you and the um, folks at school. That's I'm sorry to report that's fairly commonplace. And I'm not sure I would pin the gulf completely on um, the fact that your son has such a damaged reputation at the school. That presumably is a contributing factor, but he may not always have had a damaged reputation at the school. And so it is entirely possible that... um, These school psychologists and teachers at the school were very inflexible to any new suggestions and unwilling to try a new approach even before he had a damaged reputation at the school and may, quite frankly, have contributed to things being worse and therefore made his damaged reputation at the school more damaged. So we're not going to put it all on your son. but there are lots and lots of people. This isn't going to make you feel any better, but perhaps a little less alone. There are lots of people who, parents, who are struggling to help school personnel see their child through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Now, you do have a few advantages. Those lagging skills, you got, you got the last 50 years of research backing you up. Solving problems collaboratively, you have an increasing um, array of research letting them know that this model is effective. So you do have some advantages. The question is what to do now. What to do now that things are already bad? Um, I guess I can think of a few possibilities if you think that things are irretrievably broken. And by the way, I I appreciate the fact that your son is in a special needs school, but apparently, and of course I'm taking your word for everything that's in this email, and why wouldn't I, but they may have a different perspective. Um. Apparently, his special needs are not as well understood as might be ideal. And apparently, whatever interventions have been applied haven't gotten the job done. The question is, are things irretrievably broken, and is it time to look for a new school? Or is it time to sit down and say... Let's give this one more shot, but not by doing things the way we've always done them. That hasn't worked. Not by using the same lenses we've always used. That hasn't worked. Is there 
this is what I would say in a meeting, any openness, given that what we've done so far has not gotten the job done, to viewing things through different lenses and trying some different strategies on for size. I think the answer may let you know whether things are irretrievably broken and whether it's time to start looking for some other school option for your son. Um, I don't have someone to refer you to in Cape Town, South Africa. Someday I will. Which means that, like many people who are in a place where there is no one certified in collaborative and proactive solutions, you've got a few options there as well. Try it on your own with all of the vast array of resources on the Lives in the Balance website there to help you. Find a therapist in Cape Town who um, is at least open to these ideas and familiar with them, even if they're not listed on the list of certified providers on the um, CPS Connection website, which is cpsconnection.com. Just because someone, the, the, my model um, incorporates and is a hybrid of many different converging themes from neuropsychology, family systems theory, cognitive behavioral psychology, social learning theory. It's a hybrid of many things. What I think you are especially looking for, if you had to pick one thing, is a good family therapist who's open to some new ideas and isn't tied to sticker charts and timeouts. If you can find that person, they might be able to help you. That may be all the help I can give you today, but I appreciate you writing in. And of course, you are always welcome to call in if you wish, by Skype, which is cheap. Isn't it interesting? Um, I receive many e emails like that. The answers tend to be the same, whether the person is in Cape Town, South Africa, or someplace else where there's no one nearby who is certified in this model. Uh, I'm working as hard as I can to get as many people certified in this model as I can. And um, we now have someone certified in Sweden. Lots of folks in Canada, lots of folks in the United States. I suspect we'll have someone in Australia sometime in the next two or three years. England, soon. We're working hard to make it happen. In the meantime... Let's see how much progress you can make on your own. Let's see if you're having difficulty, whether you can find someone who's not certified, but at least open-minded. 
Hi, Dr. Green. I cannot tell you how often and for how long I have been a positive, disciplined parent. Of course, many of us parents with a challenging, intelligent child both encourage and discourage behavior and are well-versed in advocating for our children. Often, my boy is aware that many adults have forgotten how to show empathy, love, patience, and compassion. It is this insight that intelligent, challenging children have that make them so sensitive and frustrated with those who do not show empathy. My son is eight years old in the third grade, reading on a 12th grade level and in the average range academically, but is showing clear signs of social and emotional lagging skills. We have been through the ringer from the system, including the school calling EMS without a logical reason. We have been deferred referred to private school. As a result, I began bringing my son to a pediatric psychiatrist who says that he has SLCD, also known as PDD-NOS. He has been without proper related services for over a year. His needs are clearly not being met. Last week, our doctor suggested a particular ADHD medication. My response was harsh in that he was diagnosed at three years old with PDD, now transformed to SLCD. He never needed medication before when his needs were being met, and now that they are not, he is clearly showing signs of regression. I am rejecting the medication. I feel that once his needs are being met and nothing else works, then we can talk medication. Have I done the right thing? Any advice you can give would really help me out. I do not feel I should have to medicate my child just because the world has failed him. I don't think you should medicate your child just because the world has failed him either. But I'm also a practical guy. There are some things medications do well. And if your son presents... And, of course, I've never met your son, so this is a generic answer you're getting right now. I can't tell you whether I would recommend that you medicate your son or not, having never met you or him, and because I do not understand your situation as comprehensively as I would like. But there are some things medications do well. Medications reduce hyperactivity and poor impulse control well. They improve attention span well. Sometimes in children, they enhance mood well. Sometimes in children, they reduce anxiety and obsessiveness well. And they lengthen fuses and give a kid more of an emotional muffler well. There's the short list of things medications do well. And if your son presents with any of those things, then medication is a potentially viable option because your son is presenting with one of the things medication does well. Now, of course, you get to decide, but at least you've passed through the first filter. 
is my son presenting with anything that medication does well? Now, I hear what you're saying. When your son's needs are being met, he looks pretty good. What you'll have to decide is, um, if he's presenting with one of the features I just mentioned that medication treats well, is it only because his needs are not being met? Or is it more complicated than that? For example, is it hard for the world to meet your son's needs because he is presenting with things that would be well addressed by medication. So it's complicated. And this, of course, is the disadvantage I am at, uh, and that I haven't met your son, don't know your situation all that well, in which case I, as a mental health clinician, would come to my own conclusions about whether, and this is always a big challenge for me as a mental health clinician with the kids and families that I work with and the kids that I work with in different schools and facilities. But it's a, it's a very important question. If this kid's needs were being met, if this kid's unsolved problems were identified and people were busy about the task of solving them collaboratively and proactively, if this kid is being seen through the prism of lagging skills and people aren't saying things about this kid that are very counterproductive, manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, etc. If those conditions are met, does this kid still present with issues that are getting in his way that medication would address well? If so medication becomes uh, worthy of our consideration. Is this kid so hyperactive, so impulsive, so inattentive? Does he have such a short fuse? Is he so irritable, cranky, grouchy, grumpy, so anxious, so obsessive, that it's making it much more difficult for us to solve problems collaboratively and proactively with him? then medication sometimes becomes a consideration. So I agree with you. Many adults have forgotten how to show empathy, love, patience, and compassion. I agree with you. No, you're, not, you're, you're spot on there. But empathy, love, patience, and compassion don't necessarily give a kid a longer fuse. Don't reduce hyperactivity and poor impulse control. Don't improve attention span. Don't necessarily reduce anxiety. Don't enhance mood. Don't reduce obsessiveness. They are important things, characteristics to apply to our work and parenting with children. But there are things empathy, love, patience, and compassion don't do. Do I think fewer kids would be medicated if more adults had greater empathy, love, patience, and compassion? Yeah, I think that. Do I think that those are going to be the ingredients that get your son all the way there? I have no idea, once again, having never met him. That may be as far as I can take you.
which I'm sorry about. But I hope that that helps you sort things through a little bit. We do have uh, someone writing in by email. Um, Let me see here. This is for the email that preceded this one. Remember to have the right lenses on. Remember the CPS philosophy that kids do all if they can, and that if they can't, something's getting in the way, and it's up to us adults to help them figure out what the problem is. Underneath the negativity, there is still a child with positive and good traits. That they all have positive and good traits. How unfortunate it is that the problems kids encounter in life cause such conflict between them and their adult caregivers. I've been saying this on a lot of programs these days. Isn't it a shame that the problems that affect kids' lives cause such conflict between them and their adult caregivers? They're just problems. Now, as regards our most current emailer, love, compassion, patience, those are wonderful characteristics, but they don't necessarily solve the problems that are causing conflict between adults and kids. Got about 15 minutes left in the program today. Once again, if you want to call in, 347-994-2981. Let's go to another email. We've got a bunch. I'm always happy to get email answered. Hi, Dr. Green. We are the pre-adoptive parents of a seven-year-old boy who has been moved nine times. The system never figured out that he is an explosive child, but we easily did once someone suggested your book to us. We are assessing presently whether we can put the time into what it will take to help this boy. We have four birth children without this need. Anyway, if a tantrum with violence should still occur, usually he tries to throw furniture downstairs and break things. Is there any way in your system to de-escalate that, or does it just have to take its course? We understand that the goal is to avoid such circumstances in the first place, but I am sure it won't be a perfect execution, and we were wondering whether you had tips to triage a blowout. Well, great question. The standard advice, of course, and standard advice is what we often give on this program. Once again, the caveat, um, don't know this seven-year-old boy. I am so sorry that he has been moved nine times. That's, well, that's unconscionable in the year 2014, but unfortunately not uncommon. The standard advice is defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. And by defusing and de-escalating, hopefully you take the steam out of the challenging episode. But the thing to remember is that challenging episodes always occur in response to a specific problem. So yes, actually you're not 
I wouldn't use the word avoid. I would rephrase that as you want to solve problems so that they don't cause challenging episodes in the first place. To do that, you need to identify what those problems are. Um, If you're just getting started with the model, you can only work on so many unsolved problems at once, usually two or three at a time, in which case there's still going to be unsolved problems that you're not working on right now. Those will go into plan C, which means those are expectations you have removed. The ones that you are working on, that's plan B. Those are the ones you're solving proactively and collaboratively. Plan C are the ones you're not working on at all yet, not because you're capitulating or caving, but because you're prioritizing, safe in the knowledge, that you can't solve them all at once. But those unsolved problems shouldn't set in motion challenging episodes because you're just setting those aside. You're letting them go. So you're reducing the likelihood of challenging episodes in two ways. Plan C, you're getting rid of temporarily. You're setting aside temporarily the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes, some of them, many of them in the beginning. The ones that you are working on, you're trying to solve collaboratively and proactively and reducing challenging episodes that way as well. Why did I go through all of that to... um, bring us back to defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. Because if you end up adopting this seven-year-old boy, and if he should happen to become upset, and if you've already identified lagging skills and unsolved problems, and if you've already prioritized the unsolved problems, so you know what you're working on and you know what you're not, then if an unsolved problem should happen to set in motion a challenging episode, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe is great, but it's also great to do a gut check. Did you do plan A on an unsolved problem? If you didn't, and he is able to tell you what it is that he's upset about, can you do emergency plan B? or emergency plan C at that moment. It's not nothing setting in motion a challenging episode. It's something, some specific unsolved problem. Defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. Good advice. Were you doing plan A? Time for a gut check. If you weren't doing plan A, can you still figure out what it was? Can he give you any information about what he's so upset about? And can you get into emergency plan B or emergency plan C as quickly as possible? That might be as far as I can take you. I wish you the best and um, hope that this adoption, should it come through, is the one that sticks. And you've got this radio program to call into anytime you want. Uh, one of our listeners is emailing in for the um, email before this one. 
it's a very difficult decision to decide whether to medicate, whether or not to medicate your child. For what it's worth, it took us many months to make our decision, but once we did, the medicine helped tremendously, and we were able to work with our son, who was now more open to us on his lagging skills and unsolved problems. Now here, just in response to that, theoretically, here's what you're hoping for. The goal of putting a kid on psychotropic medication is to someday possibly be able to take him off. And that question, of course, should be revisited frequently. Emailer, can you let us know if... I'm trying to see the gender of your child. You said son. If your son is still on medication, just a curiosity question, because um, the goal, once the medication makes it more possible, makes your child more available to work on lagging skills and unsolved problems, the goal is to see if you can get him off. Let us know if your son is still taking medication or whether all that work you did on lagging skills and unsolved problems made it possible, and it's not always going to be possible, by the way, but made it possible for your son to come off. All right, a few more emails here, then we'll have to call it a day. Dr. Green, I recently started reading The Explosive Child, and it completely defines my four-and-a-half-year-old son. He is extremely explosive and really can't control himself when he gets angry and upset. This morning, he slapped his brother, and just a few minutes ago, his teacher called to tell me that he was hitting a friend at school today when he put away a toy that my son wanted to play with. I am at a total loss. Is this book appropriate for a four-and-a-half-year-old? There seems to be a lot of talking, but I'm not sure if he is mentally developed enough to help define the triggers. Um, Thank you for your feedback. You're welcome. I don't know if he has the language processing skills to participate in Plan B, but I do know that it won't be him who is helping identify the unsolved problems. You don't need to rely on him for that. That's you. So he slapped his brother over an unsolved problem. He hit a friend at school over an unsolved problem. And it looks like we actually may know what that unsolved problem is. Uh, The friend at school put away a toy that your son wanted to play with. Now, four-and-a-half-year-olds do have unsolved problems. How much can they, lots of them, by the way, why not? Infants have unsolved problems. Infants have unsolved problems. Four-and-a-half-year-olds have unsolved problems. You don't need his help necessarily identifying what those unsolved problems are. You and the folks at school need to become highly skilled at observing these specific conditions in which your son is exhibiting challenging episodes. So you don't necessarily need him for that. The real question is, can he participate at the age of four and a half? And once again, we do this all the time with four and a half year olds. And the main impediment would be language processing and communication skills. 
can he participate in the process of solving those problems once you and the teachers have identified what they are, have prioritized so you know which ones you're working on and which ones you're not, can he be helped to participate in the process of solving them? People, I don't know your four-and-a-half-year-old. I've been saying this a lot today, but I don't know your four-and-a-half-year-old. I don't know if there are any factors that would keep him from participating in that process. You really haven't written about any in your email. It can be done without words for kids who have no words. Sample pictures should be posted on the Lives in the Balance website today. Lindsay's working on it right now. Um, most four-and-a-half-year-olds can be helped to participate in the process of solving the problems that affect their lives. Um, but you've got to identify what those problems are first. And it sounds like that may be the task that lies before you now. And by the way, I totally get it. Um, you're at a total loss. I don't think you'll be at a total loss much longer if you identify the unsolved problems that are causing your son's challenging episodes. Our emailer is emailing to report that her son has been taken off the medications that he used to take and is saying all the work on lagging skills and unsolved problems was definitely worth it and he has become a responsible, empathic member of society. Well, always nice when things go that way. Good for him and you. All right, here's another one. This could be our last one of the day. We only have about five minutes left. And let me just check the phones here. Nope. All right. Hi, Dr. Green. I'm very open, new to your approach and haven't started implementing it yet. My nine-year-old son has had explosions since birth, it seems. This year has been the worst. Without going into too much detail, I want to address the issue of fatigue causing meltdowns. While there are lots of other problems causing his explosions, I notice that when he's really tired, there's no controlling the meltdowns. So I really try to control his bedtime and activities to the point that I've sacrificed a lot of evening outings. So how does your approach work in this case? For example, he had over eight hours of sleep Friday night but woke up very grumpy. I used Plan C throughout the day to quench the fire of explosions, beginning in the morning with not liking what I was serving for breakfast to not wanting to get a scheduled haircut to going to the movies with only Dad instead of the rest of the family. Finally, at bedtime, he exploded because his sister wouldn't share something with him and I wouldn't make her. He screamed at the top of his lungs for an hour despite my plea for silence so his little sister could go to bed. At that request, he screamed louder. So I plugged her ears so she could sleep. All the while, he screamed and threw things in his room. Finally, we brought him in our bed, and he passed out. He's never remorseful and is extremely rigid. Every explosion is caused by different circumstances. 
So I don't even know how to handle this. He explodes only at home, usually on weekends only. We were homeschooling up until this year because we had to try something else. School is great and helps a lot, but his behavior seems like it's turning him into a spoiled brat. His siblings don't like him, and I'm growing bitter and resentful. Any help is appreciated. I will try your approach. It's just hard to address the problems when it's always something different and so unpredictable. Thank you for writing in. It does sound like um, you're in a tough situation. I don't know if fatigue is causing his meltdowns. I do know that you've listed a bunch of unsolved problems that you could be solving. Uh, not liking what difficulty eating what's being served for breakfast. Difficulty going to get a haircut. Difficulty going to the movies with the family. Difficulty when his sister won't share XYZ with him. So you've actually already listed some unsolved problems that you could be busy solving, but you've also convinced me that uh, it's not so unpredictable, although your list of unsolved problems may be very long. You've actually convinced me that he is more predictable than your words suggest. Now, perhaps the most important part of what you've said is that you're new to the approach and you haven't started implementing it yet. Please get on the Lives in a Balance website. Go to the Resources section. Go to the paperwork section in the resources section and print out a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's get to know your son through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, one goal is for you not to view him through the prism of spoiled brat but rather through the prism of lagging skills. Otherwise, I fear you may grow even more bitter and resentful. Got to have the right lenses on. But you'll make him much more predictable and know exactly what you could be applying my model to if you identify the unsolved problems that are setting in motion his challenging episodes. You'll have to prioritize them because you can't work on them all at once. And you have convinced me that he probably has a meaningfully long list of unsolved problems. There I'm convinced. He'll become a much more predictable kid once you identify his lagging skills and unsolved problems. You'll know which problems you're working on and which ones you're not once you prioritize. And of course, you always have this program to call into should you hit any bumps along the way. And you should, of course, if you don't want to call in, feel free to email again. Alas, that is going to do it for us today on Parenting Your Challenging Child. I'm glad you were able to listen in. Next week, and this is true this time, is the Parents Panel. Looking forward to that. Talk to you then. <laughs>